Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. You may know that DNA holds our genetic information, but there's much more to know and much more to learn about DNA. So I've asked a DNA scientist from Upstate to help us understand the importance of DNA. Dr. Wenyi Feng is an associate professor of biochemistry and molecular biology at Upstate. Her laboratory focuses on the mechanisms of genomic instability induced by DNA replication, and she's more used to teaching medical students, but today she's agreed to answer some basic questions about DNA. Welcome to The Informed Patient, Dr. Feng. Thank you for having me. Do I understand correctly, each cell in the human body contains 23 pairs of chromosomes, and each chromosome contains many genes, and genes are made up of DNA. Is that right? I think that's a pretty accurate uh, representation. The only thing I might um, clarify is that the chromosomes are made of DNA. So not only the gene parts of the chromosome, but the entire chromosome is made of DNA. I see. Now, how do you describe what DNA is? It's got a long name. I know that. Right. So, yes, the full name for DNA is deoxyribonucleic acid. That is essentially describing the acid nature of the chemical that makes up the DNA. But in terms of its morphology, if you will, the shape of the DNA, it's really a long polymer. So imagine two strands of your favorite necklace intertwined with each other, right? That can be stretched and also compressed and um, folded to form 3D shapes. So that's how DNA in our cells, in the most basic form, looks like. However, it's not naked. So DNA is actually coated with lots of proteins. That's the chromosomal DNA parts of the DNA. But the chromosomal DNA describes the composition of DNA together with coding proteins. And so in terms of the final shape in the cells, the DNA is actually compacted. So we want to imagine the, the individual polymer, if you stretch it out completely, each cell contains about two meters of this fiber. Now imagine this fiber has to be compacted so that it can fit into a tiny space of a single cell, that, that polymer would have to be, uh, first of all, supercoiled, which can be likened to extension cord on, of your computer. When it first comes out of the factory, it's packed in a box, it's neatly coiled so that it saves a space and you can pack it into a tiny box. And so that, that's the first form of change of the polymer. So it's a super coil. And then those multiple super coils can be additionally folded to form these loops, right? Which then is interacting with lots of proteins as well. Together, they get compacted to become the chromosomal DNA. So is the double helix, the twisted strands that we all saw in science class at school, is that still the best way to think of what DNA looks like? Yes. So at the most basic level, that is how the DNA looks like. It is a double helix structure. 
which is essentially the reason why these polymers can be conducive to supercoiling additional folding to, to form the compacted molecule. However, I would just emphasize that if you were to just look at the DNA directly under the microscope, you will never see the double helix unless you purify the DNA and look at the test tubes. So the duplex DNA is not the directly visible component that one can visualize under the microscope. Interesting. Is the same DNA in every cell of a person's body? In principle, yes. However, let's say the DNA in my um, liver versus my blood may contain variations uh, due to the so-called somatic mutation process that's made up of very different origins in terms of tissue, and, um, and they're subject to additional mutations. So while in the germline, meaning when we are still sperms and eggs, our DNA is, is, I mean, there's only that one copy. But once development takes place and we form different organs, DNA in those cells are subject to additional mutations, which will present variations. Is that because the cells in the blood have different responsibility than the cells in the liver? Yes, that's a good way to put it, because different tissues and cells in different uh, origins are responsible for very, very, very different functions in our bodies and uh, are exposed to different environments and, um, and therefore have different consequences on their genome um, changes or maintenance. How much difference is there from one person's DNA to another person? So despite the fact that we're individuals that look very different from each other and behave very different from each other, we are very similar at a genetic level to each other. Over 99% of our DNA are identical between humans. And so it's only that tiny percent of less than 1% the difference that makes us unique. How different is human DNA from the DNA of other mammals? Depending on the, the species, obviously, I would say overall there's remarkable similarity between um, different species in, in, in mammals. For instance, we share at least a 98% of similar DNA with uh, chimpanzees. So that's not much um, more difference than the individual variation between humans. And we are also, I, I don't have the exact numbers, but I would say we're at least 80% similar to uh, cats and a little less to mice. And then we will be further diverged from other species like reptiles and plants. Interesting. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Wenyi Feng. She's an associate professor of biochemistry and molecular biology at Upstate, and she's patiently walking us through an explanation of what DNA is. So what happens to DNA when cells divide? So when cells divide, we need to make a new copy of DNA. That's the foremost requirement for um, what DNA um, serves in terms of its purpose. 
And in addition to that, it also needs to provide um, a transcript for proteins. So we need to make RNAs in order to make proteins. So DNA um, is the template for both making additional copy that's completely identical to the original copy. It also serves as a template for making the RNA transcript. Are there potential mistakes that occur during DNA replication that lead to disease? Oh boy, yes. That is in fact the main interest of my research, which is what happens when DNA replication, this process that's supposed to be very faithful, it makes, for instance, I'll just give you an um, idea. It makes one mistake when copying the DNA code. It makes one mistake in every hundred million nucleotides that or DNA uh, bases that it copies. So it has exceedingly high fidelity and I would say very accurate. But despite that high fidelity, it could still make mistakes. And it's those mistakes that generates genome instability that needs to be taken care of. And we're interested in what happens when those mistakes are not taken care of. What are the consequences to our genome? I know some of your research focuses on DNA repair. What can you tell us about that? Does, does the DNA repair itself? Yes, the DNA repair itself. So as I was saying, for instance, when the DNA is making a copy of itself, it makes one in um, 100 million copies of bases. And, and that is um, mainly due to the fact that there is a self-correcting machinery or, or property of the DNA replication machinery. So as it was copying, it can actually catch the mistakes that it made and go back and fix it. So if you were to just look at the, the most basic accuracy of the machinery, it's not nearly as accurate as one in you know, 100 million uh, bases. It, it's, it's far more frequent than that. But it's due to that self-correcting um, property or function of the machinery, it can um, boost up its accuracy to that level. So um, even though my lab is not directly studying these repair machinery, we are looking at the relationship between the process of DNA replication and the repair process and how these two complicated pathways interact with each other, interplay with each other. Now, you mentioned RNA. So can you explain how that's related to DNA? Yes. So I sort of alluded to that. Um, RNA is the transcript of DNA. So the best way to describe it is that you've got a recipe book for some product, right? That product bears resemblance to that recipe. So it's not like taking flour to make a cake. The resemblance between the ingredients and the product is much more similar in, in terms of DNA and RNA. Yet it is a different molecule. It lives in different places. It goes from the nucleus where the DNA lives and it goes into the cytoplasm to perform additional functions. One of which is that itself serves as a transcript for making proteins. So itself becomes a recipe book. 
So even though DNA, RNA are similar in terms of the fact that they're polymers and they're made up of uh, these nucleotides, even though components are, have key differences on each other, they're fundamentally different molecules that have very different functions in cells. I'd like to understand what remains to be learned from studying DNA. Is there a particular thing or maybe several things that today's DNA researchers are hoping to find or understand? That is a great question. So I would say that despite the fact that we know a whole lot about how DNA replication works and how transcription works um, and how they uh, work with each other to maintain, maintain the stability of the genome, there's still many fundamental questions that remain unanswered. For instance, one of the key uh, interests in my lab is what happens to DNA when the polymer gets broken, which in fact is happening more frequently than you might appreciate. The reason why they break is not at least due to the replication process itself. So imagine you're trying to un unwind, untangle that um, ball of polymer that you just compressed into the cells and you're now trying to uh, sort of um, detach the proteins that are bound to these DNA. And uh, in order to finally separate the two strands to make room for copying your DNA or transcribing your RNA, the whole process is quite dangerous if you uh, imagine doing that physically to uh, all polymers. And so it's not surprising that the DNA are prone to breakage. And when it breaks, it's detrimental to the cells if it doesn't get repaired. So we, for instance, are interested in, first of all, where do these breaks occur in the genome? Because they apparently don't occur at random spots. So they occur at specific locations that all of us have higher propensity to um, generate breaks breakage. So we're interested in finding um, where these breaks are occurring and whether they have different tendency to break in blood cells versus liver cells versus kidney cells and so on and so forth. And ultimately in the central nervous systems, whether these processes uh, differ from each other. And uh, ultimately by studying where these breaks take place, we hope to understand their impact on genomic rearrangement that ultimately impacts the health of each of those tissues and the overall health of the human being. As we wrap up, is there one thing you think everyone should know about DNA or some misconception you'd like to clear up? I'm not sure if I can think of any misconception at the moment, but I'd like to go back to the beginning of our um, discussion where we talked about the difference between human beings um, that makes us unique. So despite the fact that it's a small part of our genome, apparently, it's still something in my mind very precious to hold on to. It's that unique information that makes us um, distinct human beings. So I consider that something that we, we, we should all respect and treasure. So I would say when we think of our DNA or the, the, the very information that it carries, 
we need to respect that. We should be aware that it's uniquely our own intrinsic property that we have to be careful who we share that with. Dr. Fang, this has been very interesting, and I appreciate you making time for this interview. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. My guest has been Dr. Wenyi Fang. She's an associate professor of biochemistry and molecular biology at Upstate. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.